0: Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. Glad you could join me on our weekly adventure into the field and the forest, following great dogs, uh, spending time with good people and enjoying the heck out of the bird hunting and the places we get to do it. So uh, great show in store for you one of our industry insider features this week. We'll be talking with Fred Bohm of Sage and Breaker. Yeah, the gun care company. They've got some new stuff on the way you'll want to learn about, but as important as all of that gear is his advice on hunting desert quail and taking care of our shotguns in the field. So that'll be up today, as well as Phil Francone. You may not recognize the name, but he's the guy behind the new Mindel boots by new i mean the new usa distribution company and the boots that have been around for about 300 years he's got a literally a new model for us to look at and a lot about the uh, 300 year old company and the care of your hunting boots yeah an army may march on its stomach but its stomach is wearing good boots right (laughs) it's all coming up on the upland nation podcast plus some puppy gear that you might want to get if it's that time in your dog owning career. And I talked with all of you about how your dog is doing so far in the season, so we'll get some information on that as well. It's all brought to you by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, TruLock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, Purina Pro Plan Sport Dog Food, LandTrust.com and HiViz Shooting Systems. Well, I think I've talked about my, uh, this season I'm doing a study of valley quail. That's not all I'm shooting at, but it seems like... Uh, Time for me to learn about the the most prevalent bird in in our part of the country, our part of the Northwest, at least. Um, and it's coming along pretty well. Had a great experience uh, last week. I was in a, a wildlife area, state wildlife area, that uh, I've always looked at as chucker hunt. Uh, some other people look at it as an elk hunt, and I got to hang with some of those guys too, but... Uh, I thought there was some quail there just looking at some of the terrain some of the cover and uh, went out and basically drilled down in a couple spots you know a few hundred acre spots one of them didn't pay off but it was beautiful got some great pictures fall leaves that sort of thing the other one actually had a cultivated field in it uh, managed for elk but if you look along the edges of that field there were some greens, and then up into the Chucker Hills it went. After that, well, we did a serious study, me and Flick, and uh, and it paid off. You know, I, I learned a whole bunch of things that maybe ought to boil down into a uh, podcast down the road on uh, quail lessons. But suffice it to say, uh, they uh, cooperated pretty well, and so did the dog, which was um, really nice it's taken this long for flick to get it dialed in this season we're still working on the drive-by retrieves but at least he's retrieving thanks terry petro for your help uh... and advice on on that issue right there and uh... how important it can be how about your dog how's he or she or how are they doing this season so far maybe your dog is doing what flick is doing finally figuring it out again after a long time away that's a question in our upland nation insights newsletter and the answers were uh encouraging how's the dog work so far 28 percent of you said stellar excellent work 47 percent of you said it's as good as I expected it to be and that's fine and 24% of us are still working on that and um, probably always will be. <laughs> but that's the joy of working with bird dogs. Um, whether <laughs> The joke in television is never work with kids and dogs, and, and, and I think the same thing is true <laughs> when hunting. Uh, but uh, well, life goes on and we're still having fun, right? Oh, man, are we ever yeah we've got uh, phil francone with mindle boots coming up in just a moment first a, a word from a couple of our sponsors mid valley clays and shooting school been talking a lot with dave fiedler over there he's the chief instructor and a fanatic bird hunter in fact i'm trying to get connected with him and we have to figure out when we're not both not on hunting trips i bring that up mainly because these folks know how to teach us how to hunt Birds. How to shoot them while in a hunting situation. Not this formal stuff. How to shoot birds while we're hunting. You want to take a lesson, polish up your own shooting? I'll tell you that's the best way to make your dog happy. Put more birds on the ground. Learn more about their instructional program and all the other things they're doing over there at midvalleyclays.com. And once you've shot a few dozen or hundred rounds you want to clean that gun you want to take good care of it with the sage and breaker.com stuff they've got a little bit of everything and if you're ever down in southern Arizona in the beautiful Metroplex of Sonoida stop by and visit their flagship retail shop now ready for your visits you can also take a look at the brand new gear they've got coming down the pipe, including a scoped gun case for you rifle hunters, a traditional rod and brush system that will soon be out. I love my cleaning systems from Sage and Breaker, but I'll take a look at that traditional version as well. Learn more about their product line and watch some of those educational videos. They are very helpful. It's all at sageandbreaker.com. It's easy to talk about stuff I love, and that's why I asked Phil Francon to join me. He is the president and founder of Mindel USA. Yeah, if you've talked to me about hunting boots, you know they're my brand for a whole bunch of reasons. We'll get into that in a moment or two. But Phil Francon, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast.
1: Thank you. It's uh, it's great to be here.
0: You know, I've watched the uh, evolution of this company for a long time, now that I think about it. Um, <laughs> uh, you and I both come from other places, and we've ended up where we are today. Tell me a little bit about the story behind uh, your company and how you sure. got to this point.
1: Sure. For many, many years, I worked for Cabela's. And in I, was, I can't remember the exact year. It was either 1995 or 1996. I was working in the Sydney retail store, and uh, I got to meet a guy by the name of Lars Mindel. And I just had, I was selling footwear at the store. I just met him. I was learning a lot about stuff. And so I've, I've known the Mindel family since 95 or 96. And then as my career progressed, I ended up becoming what we always just called the boot buyer at Cabela's. Yeah, and,
0: yeah.
1: And, and that was kind of my focus. And, and uh, over the years, I got to work directly with them, with their father, Alphonse, with his brother, Lucas. And I and, uh, got to design and develop and build a bunch of footwear in the days. And then um, it came to be where Mindle was looking for, to do something different. I was looking to do something different. And we wanted to bring the brand directly to the United States without actually retail help. So we wanted to connect directly with the consumer with a great product built in Europe with the Mindle brand on it. And, and that's where we sit today.
0: So I have you to thank for what at the time was called the Mindle Perfect Boot
1: uh the Michael perfect boot was developed would have been by a gentleman right before me okay his name yeah his his name was Kevin Matthews but I inherited that boot from him and then we built several since then but that perfect boot was uh that was that was a, a really wonderful boot
0: oh and in and, and your current models are too I own four pair right now yes. just for the record and so yes. I, I I sound a little bit like a fanboy because I am <laughs> um and it served uh, you y- the Mindel boots serve uh, some very specific bird hunting purposes. We'll get into that in a minute too. but yes, you know, you're lucky to have met two generations of Mindels. but they they go back a little bit farther than that into the boot making world, don't they?
1: They do. the the family in itself in the village where they're at, which is I, I will mis- mispronounce it, but um, in the American version, it looks like Kirschen Shoring and if you pronounce it in german there's a lot there's a lot more <laughs> detail <laughs> to that but in in shoring germany they've been building boots as a family in the cobbler business for 300 years they are on the ninth generation right now wow. in that family which is just crazy when you think about they've been building boots longer than we've been a country
0: y- yeah they've got it figured out too but that's not really to do. say that's not to say they're resting on their laurels this whole no. di- discussion today started because I'm awaiting a new pair of a new model of Mindel boot. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's new at Mindel these days?
1: Sure, sure. Technology and comfort will always be the hallmark of what Mindel does. And we talk about it a lot. Um, if you think about a German car, for instance, German cars, Mercedes-Benz uh, and BMW, you think about those cars. They're really well built. They're very sturdy. They're very comfortable. And thats I, th- I think that kind of goes all the way through the manufacturing technique of uh, in the German marketplace, and Meindl is no different. They, they That's where they really build their base. And uh, we always are trying to find ways to make things lighter weight, make things more comfortable, make things perform uh, at, at a higher rate. And we built a boot in the past called the Ultralight Hunter, and it was a good boot. But it was made in, in Asia, and, and there were some things that we just wanted to do to improve it. And we wanted to build a lightweight boot with zero compromise, and that's why we built this light Hunter. When you look at the light Hunter, it's built in Europe. It's our lightest hunting boot ever. It's ridiculously comfortable and flexible. And it is kind of a, I'll just call it an all-around everyday boot. You can wear this boot doing just about anything. And we're, we're really excited to get it launched.
0: Well, I, I'm excited to get a pair because uh, you've just described exactly what I'm looking for. And so are so many uh, other yeah. bird hunters out there. We go from the office to the to the kennel, to the field, um, all in one day. Yes. And unless uh, unless we're in a law firm, uh, we don't need to wear a suit and tie <laughs> in, in Oxford's. We can wear those boots. Correct. So I'm looking and then especially as a chucker hunter, if you can shave off a half a pound, I'm grateful.
1: Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, when when you start looking at lightweight product across the marketplace, typically you almost always have to make some sort of a compromise. Mm-hmm. You have you you have to use a thinner leather, you have to use a less substantial midsole, you have to use Um, a very skin thin rubber outsole and we were able to do a lot of these things we're we're using a full grain new buck leather we're using a polyurethane midsole we have kept all of the things that make a mindle boot comfortable and make them sturdy and make them last and we have been able to do it in a lightweight model so we're really pumped about that so we're just we're ready to get it into the market but actually tomorrow they are getting offloaded Um, the container from germany just arrived it's being offloaded at our facility tomorrow so we can start shipping tomorrow
0: you know you mentioned all the things that you won't compromise on but then you mentioned that you and you still have many of those things in there how do you shave off any weight
1: it's it's uh a lot of a lot of it has to do with the frame so every Uh everything when you start looking at the internal components of a boot the the nylon polynylon nylon footboard, the or insole board, the the thickness of the midsole. So we've shaved a little off the thickness of the midsole. Uh, we've done things. The leather in and it, it's of itself is is cut and lined differently. We, we it's not as um, so. A lot of our boots are are made 100% to get you to the top of a mountain. Sure. I wouldn't send a guy to the top of the mountain. You're not going to go on a sheep hunt in the New Euro light, but you're going to do a lot of the things. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'll call it I'll call it uh, 8,000 feet and below. <laughs> So, the, so there's there's some of the there's some of those c- components that are made just one hundred percent to make you sturdy and make that boot um, not give on you a bit when you're side hilling at eleven thousand yeah, feet yeah, yeah. that you just don't need um, sub eight thousand feet.
0: I get it, and so for 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 my once a year Himalayan snowcock hunt, uh, I probably <laughs> ought to go to the the the, the highest uh, model boot that I have from you guys, but for everything else, I'm okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of hunting, uh, what do you like to do out there?
1: I I am a big whitetail hunter. Um, Ah. I, I, I am very fortunate to own some acreage in Kansas. So I spend a lot of time with a bow in my hand and a tree in Kansas, but I was born and raised on the North Platte river. Okay. So my grandparents had about a mile and a half, uh, of river frontage when I was growing up and i I was brought up in the water i I was the water dog before a water dog was a water dog <laughs> <laughs> i i I was in a pair of uh, waders and I was a retriever and i was I was a bird hunter and I, I i I loved doing that uh all the way up until the very first time I actually called in a bull elk and I killed a bull elk with my bow <laughs> for the first time and i've I've been woefully uh eaten up by it ever since i cannot get over archery hunting Uh, it it just that is the thing that really gets me fired up in the fall
0: and there's no 12-step program for that yet
1: (laughs) no no i haven't found a betty ford for uh bow hunting yet but and if i did i'd probably skip it anyway because i don't want to lose that feeling
0: i hear you yeah yeah Um, but but you know you're in the heart i just finished a story for gundog magazine on nebraska and and people wouldn't wouldn't guess at that you know that is it i-90 that goes right past you guys there you know Uh, carney and 80 okay i-80 you know that whole country there's some bird hunting right out there and i've had a good time both north and south of that interstate you ever get out and do any of that while you're so close to it
1: we do we do um so a couple of the guys that work for me riley and dan are both big bird bird hunters yeah so i i track with them a lot i've i've been through south dakota i've got a really nice quail population on my farm in kansas so we i don't uh, i don't beat on them too much mm-hmm. but we'll we'll get we'll get a good friend of mine in kansas has some bird dogs he's so we will come over and we'll chase them once or twice a year and have a really nice time doing that so I, I, I definitely upland birds there's there's really nothing that i haven't hunted on the north american continent but my passion lies with a bow
0: well, we won't hold that against you.'re uh, oh, we are the I sportsman's it. DEI here, so uh, uh, I love, it. I love uh, it. We're good with that. Uh, let, let's get down to brass tacks, and pardon the pun, because in the old days in the Mindel uh, factory, they probably used a lot of brass tacks. <laughs> yes, but, they did. Um, y- 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 take us to school on boots. What should we look for if we're, let's just call ourselves fairly active, aggressive bird hunter? okay so, you know uh, um, we do some as a rule the as, as a general population we're doing some serious chucker hunting we're doing a lot of quail hunting we're doing some rough grouse hunting so we're covering a lot of different types of ground you bet what are the things that would make for a great bird hunting boot
1: if you walked into my shop today I always start off the question and answer session with what do you like to do? And and since you, you've just laid it out in a very perfect way, if you're, if you're going to be in all of those multitudes of terrain, all of those spots where you can turn an ankle, whether it be in a stubble row or in some extremely steep terrain, chasing a chucker, the, the base of the boot is, is wildly important mm-hmm. And when we start looking for grip and for traction, we use vibramount soles on almost all of our boots. So we want a, We want a good quality base. We, we're, we've got to get you traction. We've got to get you stuff where you feel comfortable going uphill and downhill and sidehill for that matter. And then we want a good base. You're obviously going to be putting a ton of miles on. So you have to be supported. And what we do with polyurethane midsoles and with our footbeds, Um, we I think we far surpass a lot of other competitive product from a comfort perspective because we know that when you put that many miles on, you have to be comfortable and you have to be able to really take a beating. And and it's your knees, it's your back, it's it's your feet, it's all of it. So we really concentrate on everything that's under your foot.
0: You know, and I I gotta testify, it's absolutely true. Um at the end of the day, what matters most is: uh, Do you want to pull those boots on again the next morning?
1: Yes. There's there's been more than one hunt that has been ruined because somebody's feet get wrecked. Yeah. And and we want we want to be um, we want to be in the photo at the end of the hunt, not in the in the um, bad memory banks of yeah. blistered feet, you know, or or sore back or knees. We want to We want to. We want to get you all the way to the end of that hunt to where your your feet are are feeling great.
0: Hey, you're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. The expert on footwear is Phil Francon with Mindel USA. I'm Scott Linden. I'm the expert on nothing. Uh, Don't ask about my shooting because I'm even worse at that. But uh, Phil, you mentioned a brand of soul that has been around since I was a Boy Scout and backpacking in the high Sierras of California. Why is Vibram still the go-to soul for everybody?
1: Uh, man it's a, it's a good question and i would tell you it is similar to the, the Mindel family they've yeah. been doing it forever mm. that's what they that's what they concentrate on they are world-class chemists they are end users of the product they understand the formulations needed to create a rubber compound that is grippy and sticky and doesn't wear out and flexes and moves the way you need it to move they that's what they eat sleep breathe that every single day and it's it's truly an art form and they they really put a ton of effort into what you get out from that outsole. we used to just presume hey that's what you got
0: to start with and then you, sure. you worked up from there Uh are there alternatives out there that are not quite as good as the footbed that you're describing
1: so if if you want to go like from the Vibram side of things, there are many, many, many else providers out there. We think Vibram is top from out from the way we design the inside of the boot from a mm-hmm. comfort perspective. Yeah, especially like the, the boots you discussed earlier, our comfort fit boots, the ones that you wear today. Mm-hmm. We use a poly uh, or it's a silicone impregnated cork footbed. Yeah, and. So if you think back, if you know what a Birkenstock sandal is, that cork really absorbs. And you think about all the things that people use cork to absorb shock in, whether it be flooring or whatever. Cork is a fantastic shock absorber. And having that as the base of what we put in our, our best footbeds and the comfort of that and the rebound you get from it and the support you get from it, we're, we don't think anybody can touch our our comfort fit footbed. We think that's one of the best footbeds on the market.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I can't agree more. Uh, the, the, the rest of the materials, though, are, are just as critical because I'm, yeah. you know, I'm thinking of a pair I, I threw away, literally threw away um, a few months ago uh, that uh, hurt. When you put them on and laced them up, you couldn't walk more than a few hundred yards before there were spots that just hurt. There's There's got to be some science as well as art in designing the shape for example and uh and what materials go into that shape so sure. what do we watch for there
1: we you're never it's it's um it's like what's on the maybe on the inside of a car door right you, you know your window goes up and down but you may not know what the motor is yeah you may not you may not know what all the mechanics are inside of that we have to focus on that because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, the foams that we use can't be cheap foams that that fall apart and break down in interior over time. The lining materials that we use have to be really good at wicking moisture and pulling that moisture away from your foot so you don't sweat and get hot and get blisters. There's there's a multitude of levels inside of your boot that you would probably never see unless you cut it open mm-hmm. that, that we have to think about, and it is top-tier foam, and it is top-tier cushioning, and it is top-tier... Um, hardware and lacing and all of those things to get that to where it is and we have to concentrate on that to ensure that i mean you can go buy a vibrant sole and then not do the rest of the internal parts of the shoe and not have a good shoe it takes all of those things and, and the the mindle family really concentrates on the internal componentry to ensure that that comforts all the way throughout
0: you know i used to do a thing and it started way back when i was first getting into television a uh, certain uh, sneaker company decided they'd start making boots and and I got them and I wore them for about a week, and the laces fell apart. And I'm thinking yeah. that's that's now my first test. If the laces won't last, <laughs> what else is going to fall apart? But um, there there is there is something to be said for not only the design but the care that we're going to give a boot to make sure it serves us for years and years and yes. years. Um, what are the things that we do right? or we do wrong when it comes to taking from, from fitting to breaking in to cleaning and the care and feeding.
1: Sure. From a, from a fitting standpoint, you've got to get the boot on your foot, but at the end of the day, you have to, it is really, really wise to go have your foot measured by a professional Uh get, get your your foot in a Brannock, understand exactly what length your foot is, what width your foot is, what length, your arches. Mm. all of all of those measurements can help us when you call us and you're looking for a boot we can make sure that we're going to get you in the right the right fit virtually i'd say 98 of the time the yep. other two percent you might have an oddity you might have a bunion you might have you know an old injury or something like that where we can work our way around those things and try to get you in the right fit but sometimes those will throw us a curveball yeah. um From a, go, go ahead. ahead i'm sorry no,
0: I'm going to just clarify. A lot of people don't know what a Brannock device is. That's uh, good, good. the, that's that's the thing you step in at the shoe, st- if, there, if you can find a shoe store. <laughs> yes. And, and it's got slidey things and up and yes. down and back and forth. And if we're going to buy our boots from you, we got to go somewhere else and do that.
1: We do have a printable version that we I do love off of our off of our website, so we try to make we try to make it as easy as possible. Look, yeah. we know that selling boots via the internet can be difficult because people want to put them on their feet. Mm-hmm. We do we do free returns for that just to make sure that we get you in the right shoe. We're not going to leave you hanging out there, you know, and and uh, not get you in the right shoe because that is at the end of the day what makes us who we are we're, we're gonna we're gonna get you in the right boot for the right situation
0: problem solved right there yeah. all right so yeah. back back to the care and feeding of our feet and our boots uh we get a pair uh we want to break them in first we want to make sure they fit right we want to make yeah. make sure we break them in correctly what are the things that you would suggest we do once we open the box
1: once you get the box at your house, put on the sock that you're going to wear while yeah. you're wearing it. Yeah. That is so important. Most guys will be, like, oh, you know what? I just got home from the office or I just got done, you know, doing whatever I've got on a lightweight cotton sock and I'm gonna go throw on my my hardcore hunting boot and I'm gonna go traipsing around. And it and you should really do it in the sock you're going to wear because it needs to break in at the way that it's going to fit your foot. And mm-hmm. you need to ensure that if you're going to wear a thicker sock while you're hunting, that boot fits appropriately. So that that's number one. So yeah. get the right sock.
0: Yeah, I never thought then, about the sock being part of the break-in process.
1: It's 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 truly important because I think it really comes down to the fit more than it does the yeah. break-in. But at, at yeah. the same time, you want you yeah. want to know. It, I mean, if you if you're going on a once-in-a-lifetime hunt, you're gonna go on that. Um, you're going ptarmigan hunting, or you're going somewhere where you you know you you don't get to go every single every single year. What are the chances that you get up there and that boot doesn't feel the way you did when you were, you know, walking around in it in your house in a, in a cotton tube sock? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you need to know. You know, you just you need to put that investment into the time and you know into that product to make sure that you know what you've got cooking. And then wear it. the The next step is wear it. I've had guys where They'll they'll call me and they'll tell me, Oh man, I took your boots right out of the box and I walked right up and and went elk hunting in Colorado, mm-hmm. went to twelve thousand feet. I don't I don't recommend that. Um look, our, our boots are really, really comfortable, but you need to know what's what you're getting yourself into and and you need to wear those around. So wear them an hour a day, wear them two hours a day, wear them three hours a day, go on a walk, go on a hike. Um it should it doesn't it doesn't have to be a grueling process, you don't need to do it like in the old days where you know get them wet and walk them dry where they <laughs> mold your feet. Yeah, but yeah. That's got in in the old days, I think you probably had to do that because boots they weren't that comfortable they were basically a slab of rubber and a slab of, a slab of leather but uh our boots they're super comfortable and I, I just want you to take them out of the box and kind of ease your way into wearing them and then off you go
0: you know back in the day we would go to the the store and and, and then we we'd lace them up we'd stand up because yep. that makes your foot a little wider um and a little longer for that matter mm-hmm. and and yep. then the, the the guy would try and press on the toe you can't do that anymore there's nothing to press on <laughs> but is there some way we can tell when we put them on first that they're fitting right or fitting wrong
1: sure the number one thing that you want to make sure is that you have really you don't have any movement yeah and number so a, a, a lot of our boots have a, a, a heavy poly nylon shank. So the entire insole board is the shank mm-hmm. so that can work as a lever against you a little bit because they're a little stiffer on some styles and and what you want to make sure is that lever doesn't pull your heel up and down in the heel cup so (sighs) make sure that your heel is centered make sure it is snug make sure you're not having any play in the heel because that's obviously the first place you're going to get a get a blister Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: and then second you want to kind of give yourself a little bit of left to right how does it feel across the ball of my foot do i have pressure on the outside ball do i have pressure on my pinky toe do i have am, am i in the right width a lot of our boots we present to the consumer with a D which is a medium width and a double E which is a wide width. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, if you've got a wider foot, we can get you into a wider shoe. If you've got a narrower foot, we can get you into the more of the medium fit. Excellent. So that's really important. And then last is you want to make sure that if you're going down some sort of an incline that your toe is not bumping against the front of that boot. Mm -hmm. It's, Mm -hmm. It's really important. You can lose your toenail. You can really hurt yourself. So, it's the heel, it's the ball, and it's the toe. Make sure you're not bumping into the front of that boot.
0: Yeah, I remember one time uh, one of the stores had a boulder. Yeah, and you'd stand on the boulder on the on the yeah. incline going down.
1: Yeah, yep.
0: Worked great. <laughs> yeah.
1: And the, and the, and the best way to test that at home. I mean, if you don't have an incline or a big boulder to go climbing on, just go go on a set of stairs in your house and just kind of lean the heel. Yeah. You know, kind of kind of catch the heel on the edge of the stair and lean forward a little bit and just get a feel for if your foot's going to stay put in that boot
0: okay kids don't try this at home unless you're <laughs> holding on to the railing at the same time
1: yeah use the bottom step <laughs> <laughs> not, not the not the top step
0: so how do we take care of these things i mean i granted a lot of materials a lot of different things in there for but sure. but in general our hunting boots are a tool that must perform every day how do we maintain those boots
1: Number one, the first thing we always tell everyone, stay away from anything that is a petroleum-based product. <gasps> petroleum-based mink wax, or mink oil, um, the old snow seal. I don't know if they have petroleum in it nowadays. I don't know if they've changed their formulation. But a lot of the things that we've relied on for a long time as outdoorsmen for mm-hmm. putting on our boots was actually not very good for our boots. And it's more that it's not good for the rubber. That Those petroleum-based pro- products are really hard on Adhesives and really hard on rubber, so you might get some early early deterioration or some delamination based on that petroleum-based product. So, by all means, please stay away from anything petroleum. And then when we all of our leather is 100% true cowhide. I mean, we we buy the finest leathers from a place called uh, Heinen Tannery in Germany. They've been making leather for a couple hundred years as well. Mm. Um, It is good to use a natural wax-based product we have mindle sport wax and we have mindle wet proof which is the spray those are the two things those are the two things we recommend you treat your boots get them out of the box treat them up hit them with that wax hit any fabric areas with the spray if you want and off you go what are we trying
0: to accomplish when we put that stuff on particularly on the leather are we we're not particularly waterproofing that leather because we've got linings for that sure what's the goal there
1: it is it is a little bit about waterproofing, but it's waterproofing not necessarily in trying to, um, you know, overpower your Gore-Tex lining, right? You've got yeah. the waterproofing yeah. there. It is more about making sure that that leather does not absorb and wet out. Mm. We, don't, we don't want that leather to turn into a sponge and end up being heavy uh-huh. and end up being clammy and end up being cold. So we're going to keep moisture out of the leather, keep it from absorbing that. And number two is it's rehydrating the leather. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a natural product, and you have to take care of it. That, that was a, you know, a piece of leather right off of a living, breathing cow, and it's turned into this, and you now have to make sure that at the end of the day, if you just leave it set and let it dry out and rot and crack and do all those things, it's going to do that. If you take care of it, you're going to get a lot more life out of that boot. Kind of
0: like our dog's paws. I've got a reg- <laughs> regime I yes. use on our dog's paws that uh, most people think is crazy, but it works. And yes. par- part of it is making them supple
1: they are putting as many miles on their feet as you're putting on yours. And I think that's probably a pretty good way to do it. You want to yeah. make sure that that skin, that hide, that leather is well cared for and yeah. it won't crack on them and it won't split on them. And, and, and I think that it means a lot to the life of the boot and probably the, the life of your dog.
0: You guys mentioned something uh, on your website that I'd, i I'd, I'd seen mentioned in various forms over the years. First off, Never put your bo- boots near uh, high heat, uh, sure. whether it's a campfire or anything else. I've seen the results of that. Uh, yes. uh, what about a boot dryer like uh, Pete makes or somebody else? Can can we use those?
1: I'm, I'm a I'm a big fan of the gentleman from Pete Boot Dryer, and and I've known them for years, and, yeah. and they make a good product. My position is is simply this: I I don't prefer that you use a boot dryer. Yeah, and and the reason being. When you start putting rubber and leather together, they have different shrink rates, right? Uh-huh. So when rubber yeah. when ru- when rubber gets wet, it does not shrink and it does not grow. When leather gets wet, it does both. When it when it gets wet, it can stretch out, and when it dries, it can shrink. Gosh. And if you take and if you take that process and you heat those boots up and they shrink, really fast, they can shrink too much. And what ends up happening, you'll find delamination between rubber and leather in those mm-hmm. situations because that leather actually comes in and collapses almost against that and it in the fibers pull away and so we do not prefer that you use a boot dryer or any outside heat. like let let the world do it you know put toilet or uh newspaper put some paper towels put something in your boot take the footbed out let them dry as naturally as possible
0: there you go uh and the proverbial question will end with this one phil frank the founder and president of mindle usa um lacing is there a strategy are we all lacing our boots the wrong way
1: it's a really good question there are as many lacing techniques in the world as you might ever want to think about um, for people that have wide feet you can skip some eyelets you can do some things like that it, it is it is it is truly personal preference what you need to make sure at the end of the day when you lace that boot up that you have a secure fit on your foot that is comfortable for you to be able to go out and perform all day long and then get done that day and be able to strap your boots back on and get out there the day the next day you can do things to improve the tightness you can do things to improve room and make them wider and you, just a simple google search you can probably find 50 different lacing techniques okay right. my mine would be this make sure that you're Comfortable across the ball of your foot with the tightness. Be mm-hmm. sure that you are locking your heel back into the heel cup with our Digifix heel lock system so that your heel doesn't move. And then from there, be comfortable. You can over tighten boots, you can cut off circulation with lacing. So it's important that you don't like wrench that down onto your foot because you're actually doing yourself a disservice.
0: Well, there you have it. The guy who knows his stuff, he's been involved in this. Well, not as long as the Mindel family, but pretty dang long. (laughs) Phil Francon is the founder and president of Mindel USA. Phil, I'm glad we finally got the chance to talk. Thanks for being a part of the Upland Nation and the Industry Insiders feature. I learned a lot. I hope everybody else did, and uh, looking forward to working with you guys in the future. Thanks so much.
1: I appreciate it, Scott. Thank you. I really appreciate you having us. And, and if you have questions about anything at all, you just let us know.
0: We'll do. Thanks a bunch. Right. Have a great Take day. Care. Great guy. Great organization. Sure enjoyed that chat. Uh, we've got more to come, including Fred Bohm gear, shotgun care, and some desert quail advice, as well as puppy gear you might want to get. It's all coming up on the Upland Nation podcast. First, a word from trulockchokes.com. Just had a great chat with Scott Trulock about what's uh, new in their organization. Mainly, mainly, it's all exciting engineering related things. What they're doing and how they're doing it, the materials they use, how carefully they put together their 2,000 choke tubes. If you need a new choke tube, they've got it. You can search in any number of ways by the manufacturer of your shotgun, by the kind of shooting you do, by the birds you're shooting at. Learn more about all of that and everything else you need to know about choke tubes at trulockchokes.com. T R U L O C K, trulockchokes.com. Lifetime warranty, satisfaction guarantee, no questions asked. And a lot of incentives to save you a buck or two at trulockchokes.com. Flick is performing like a champ. Okay, all right, he looks and runs like a champ. Maybe some of those points are as steady as they could be. But when he's out there in the field, he is fueled by Purina Pro Plan Sport dog food. Learn more about all their formulations at ProPlanSport.com. Dot com he is looking good he is okay that quail hunt I talked about earlier Saturday he did 20 miles Sunday he did 21 miles no I did not <laughs> I felt like it and I still got a bruise that looks like I rolled down a 21 mile hill but Flick is going strong and part of the reason is the stuff in pro Plan Sport. It fuels the most sporting dog champions and it also fuels Flick. It has omega-3 fatty acids and glucosamine to help support joint health and mobility. Yeah, he's getting up there. He's six now. Maybe I should try some of that stuff. Learn more about all the formulations and how they work and why they pay off at ProPlansport.com Well, every time I talk with this guy, I get jealous. I've been trying to get down his way for a long time, and he 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 deserves credit for doing it before I did. He pulled it off. He's down there in southern Arizona. Merns, Gambles, and all sorts of other quail, among other things. Fred Bohm with Sage and Breaker. Welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast. Great to be here, Scott. Thanks for having me on. You are you're living the dream as as uh, a daughter of uh, my best friend says you're living the best life ever and part of it is being down there in southern Arizona so let's talk about that first it's a little early for most of us to be in southern Arizona chasing quail but you're already doing it in the right way and with the right dogs tell me about your quail hunting so
2: far. Well, the season started up, oh, I think it was right about middle of October, maybe October 13th for uh, Desert Quail being, you know, gambles and yeah, scalies. Yeah. So I actually just got back this morning with the pups back to the office here and uh, been doing the morning thing, you know, because it's still warm. It's, you know, it, it, we just kind of, I feel like we just hit fall yesterday. Yeah. Uh, some temperatures drop, but, you know, so it's mainly just going uh, an hour, two at the most in the morning before the snakes start uh, getting feisty. Um, getting out with the pops and, you know, just kind of getting those preseason jitters out of them and, and, and myself as well. So we've been, uh, we've been hitting it pretty good, getting into some decent numbers too this year. Um, but yeah, just having a ball with it early season before murns kicks in and, uh, it's been, it's been pretty spectacular so far.
0: Well, when, when you say desert quail, I know what you mean. And I've, I've chased them all over that area, not your area, but close, um, are you having to go very far from your home base to get there? I, I'm just trying to put myself in, in on the map, and and I can't remember much desert out towards Sonoyta and Patagonia
2: that area. Yeah, well, there's we, we, that's the beauty of being out here. It's really varied. So you have the mountains. I mean, we got the Santa Ritas, Machugas, a bunch of mountains all around us, and that's where you're going to find the Merns. But then the valley floor is, uh, you know, that's just all pretty typical desert. So I get into them. Oh, man, no further than 10 miles from my house. Wow. I could literally walk out my back door and be in Myrn's country. But to get in the desert quail, no, it's it's you, you could get the trifecta easily in a day when the, all the seasons are open. So, wow. no, we're right in it. We're right in the thick stuff. So.
0: All right, so, so give me one highlight just to get the, my juices flowing. Tell me about uh, a recent hunt and what kind of dog work you got out of that.
2: Well, okay, I would say it was the first hunt. So I go out with extremely low expectations. So in the beginning of the season, I'll hunt both dogs together. I yeah. got an English setter and a poodle pointer. Um, and I hunt them together because how do you leave one in the truck? This They're so excited. I mean, every single morning, they're right at the edge of my bed just staring at me, You know, and it's <laughs> pitch black out still. So I, it breaks my heart. So the first, I would say, two, three weeks, I'll hunt them together. But with that comes the expectation is – they get a little bit competitive, and I expected the bump birds, which they did. But that first day, I'm like, okay, we'll get out, we'll get into maybe a cubby here, and uh, you know, just kind of work through it. Well, within an hour, we got into five separate cubbies. It was unbelievable. And we just, you know, at this point, I was letting the cubbies go. We maybe chase a couple singles, uh, and then just move on because I wanted them to get that full experience. And I couldn't believe it. Like, I was driving. I just I couldn't even get out of the place. I'm like, I got to get back to work. And we just kept going. Then I'd see another cubby flush off the road and go, and I'm like, well, let's get a more experience. And so it was unbelievable. It was, it was almost hard to get out of there. There were so many quail, um, which I'll never see again. You know, that was just complete luck. Uh, the dogs did well. They did pretty good. But, you know, the typical thing in the early season, they were getting a little bit aggressive with them um, and... I'd like to blame just the dogs, but I was horrible out there as well. I was, I was missing left and right. So we all needed a bit of a warm-up. So it was a good way to do it.
0: You know, you I know you don't expect us to feel sorry for all of that you just <laughs> described, so I won't even acknowledge it. Uh, I'm so happy for you and for the dogs, too, to get that many bird encounters that early in the season is got to be a, a, a learning experience for both of them, no matter
2: what their age. But how old are they? Uh, breakers getting up there. He's the poodle pointer. So he's almost, he'll be 10 this winter. Wow. Um, and then pistol will be, she's going to be three and a half coming up here. So she's, you know, she's starting to get into it now. Um, you know, getting over the puppy stage, um, and, you know, she's just an absolute race car out there. So I would say she gets a majority of the birds. But Breaker's still my my dead solid. When he's on point, I know it's not a false point. I love it. You know, he's he's got the experience. He's the retriever side of the team. So uh, they work well together, but it does. It takes a little bit for them to kind of feel each other out again after, a, you know, a long off season.
0: Oh, I believe it. Uh, it, it sounds, you know, again, I, I'm just thinking of a recent hunt where we did chase singles for half a day out of a oh couple of big, uh, covies. That was um, desperation on my part, much like you. I think I, I was missing so much. I didn't feel bad about just putting pressure on a 50 bird covey, but, um, you know you're out there all the time uh, whether it's merns or it's desert quail you've probably learned a little bit about tactics and strategies that that w- we aren't quite as familiar with let's go to the merns quail thing first i know um it's got a later season and for good reason but when you're out chasing just merns quail describe the the habitat for us and get us psyched about coming down there
2: someday so, what you're looking for, I mean, you can go up into the mountains, but that's pretty steep territory, and I've definitely hunted up there, and uh, it's good. But there's it's the rolling hills here, kind of the foothills getting into the mountains, is where you're really going to start seeing them. You're looking for live oak, um, you know, real grassy areas. They like the thicker stuff, not like a scaled quail or gambles, which, you know, they'll just run forever. The beauty with the merns is the whole type, but in order for them to do that, they need some thick cover. Yeah. So, you're looking in those foothills. Um, and you could just, uh, yeah, you just roam those. And uh, and again, the beauty is if you've got young dogs, or, or it doesn't even matter, it's just fun. You know, they hold so tight that you, there's times you're looking at the dog, you're like, there's no way, there's yeah. no way there's a yeah. quail there. Sure as heck, you walk up to it, and boom, out they flush from underneath your feet. So they're a lot of fun. I think that's why people really enjoy chasing them.
0: You know, you just said something that uh, it, it's almost a mantra with Merns coil hunters, and that is, you don't even know they're there, and they get up in front of you. Yeah, are they stealthy? They're not camouflaged, but maybe they are. I mean, why is that?
2: It's, it's got to be the cover. I mean, it's some pretty thick stuff they're in. I mean, it's not. I wouldn't go as far as what you would see. You know, uh, typical pheasants in not yeah, that, that yeah. thick. But it's thicker stuff, and, and they just – they don't move. Where a lot of times, you know, with the desert birds, you'll see them running. So that yeah, they, that's yeah. the dead giveaway. These guys will hold tight, and I guess that's their strategy for survival is, you know, if, if, hold as tight as you can. They won't see me. They'll walk right by. Mm-hmm. Um, that type of mentality. I mean, I I, it, it, I would imagine it'd be a tough hunt without a dog. Oh, God, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'm sure people do it, but, boy, I wouldn't want to. Um, it's – you really need that dog to get in there and peek at them because I – you could walk five, ten yards away from a cubby, and I don't think they're going to flush on you.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I've, uh, I've seen that. Again, my, my analogy is almost always going to be defaulting to valley quail, who are doing more and more of that as well. Um, so uh, you're down there, you're at the bottom of a draw, you're at the bottom of a hill somewhere in a valley, and you're he- heading out for Merns quail. Uh, what do you want the dogs to do, and how are they going to pull that off?
2: I mean, I let mine just do what they do. You yeah, know, they, they yeah. run out there, kind of feel I've, – I've, I've learned over the years that I always think I know where the uh, the quail are or any animal for that matter. You know, I think I know where they are. No, just trust your dogs. So I just let them – you know, my, my setter is a big running dog, so she gets out there, got them on GPS, um, and then, you know, just waiting for a point and, and getting after them. But I don't know. I let them do their thing, and – you know, I, I I'm a firm believer. I'm the moron in the situation, and, and they're the uh, they're the professors, and yeah. I just follow what they do, and I, I try not to screw up and embarrass them.
0: Yeah, that's probably a pretty good strategy. <laughs> I'll have to write that down. Um, what about uh, uh yeah, your dog hits a point, bird's hold, uh, you're probably downhill from everybody. Uh, how are you going to approach a dog, and and where are you going to try and channel those birds to go? Because you have a different challenge than most quail hunters out there. Trees get in the way.
2: Yeah, yeah. So you are trying to push them in a direction that's going to give you a you know a good clearing to get a shot off. That's not always the case. That you know you, you get that, but I try to push them back downhill. Um, and again, it's a lot of times because if the dog moves, I, you know I don't want them getting a, a dicey shot with a dog chasing them chasing yeah. the birds uphill, that type of thing. I try to push them down if available and just getting yourself some good shooting windows, you know, try to push them in an area, but they end up doing what they want to do. I find they scatter more. Huh. They'll hit more, you know, like a, not three sixty, but they'll, they'll scatter left, right, straight, all of, all of the above, where I find again, the desert birds are going to kind of push out in a, uh, in a clump in one direction. So.
0: Oh, I've never thought about that. Well, I've never hunted birds. So I, but the uh, again the, the, the even the mountain quail that I've dealt with will will do much the same thing as your Murns quail and, and, and really distract you that way and I'm sure that's why they do it.
2: Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, you're 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 thinking they're going to go one direction, all of a sudden they're popping out behind you to the side and you know and they they seem to do the whole uh, the the popcorn flush as well <laughs> as just one boom 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 you know as as opposed to that big cloud of, of quail taking off on you. So usually what I'll do is if I get into a cubby. Try to hold off on those first. You know, if it's not a, a really solid shot, I'll just hold off because you know you'll get a couple more popping up into the air, you know, afterwards. So you, you get, you could get selective with them typically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wish I had that kind of self discipline. Oh,
2: this is just advice. This is not what I do. Let me tell you, you see me out there. I'm a mess just shooting into, you know, I'll be shooting. Oh, come on, Fred, get it together.
0: Oh, good. I feel better now.
2: (laughs) Uh, What
0: do you do? uh, What is one thing you might do for, whether it's desert quail, and and I'll, I'll lump the merns in there, too, because you're so far south. I'll call them desert. I know they're not, but they're... Do you train your dogs in any particular manner for quail themselves, or do you just cross your fingers and hope they do the doggy things that any good bird dog will do?
2: You know, I mean, the only thing I ever train my dogs with is just discipline. You know, if I need them to come back, you know, recall, uh, uh, working with them not to push in on birds, you know, woe training them. But aside from that, you know, it's it's in the blood. I just let them be bird dogs. Um, I'm pretty loose with them, but they, they – I don't typically need to um, have a heavy hand, you know, yeah. and, and really have to tell them what to do. So no, I don't, I don't train them any different than when, I, you know, we were in Colorado and I would go up uh, dusky grouse hunting or pheasant hunting. I just, again, I, maybe it's, I don't, I don't know if it's a popular way of doing it, but I just let a bird dog be a bird dog and, uh, and it seems to work. So I'll, I'll stick with that formula.
0: Yeah, you know, um, Delmar Smith said it best, you know, you only expect three things from a dog, to hold still, to come to you when he's called, and to go away from you when he's called. So, uh, love it. Um, You mentioned something that got me to thinking about the company, SageAndBreaker.com, and all the things that are going on there. I know I've talked a little bit on the podcast about a new retail location. How's that coming?
2: Good. I'm in it right now, and uh, we've been working on it. Um renovating a space here and we're trying to get that ready for winter time when all the bird hunters are down here in a couple months. And, uh, you know We, we got a retail space. We, we were mainly online. That's for sure. So we brought everything down here from Denver. The warehousing's down here. Now we're going to fill out of here. We're going to have our retail space, uh, slash Upland bird hunter hangout. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's great. We're just, we're happy to set roots down here. Denver was a bit busy for us. Um, we wanted to get to kind of the a, a, a bird hunting mecca. It's just, it's a beautiful you know beautiful thing to be able to go out in the morning, ten minutes away from the shop, uh, go get a hunt in, and be back. You know, by the time everybody else is going to work. Um, so we, I think we picked the right location. We we definitely have bird hunters coming from you know throughout the U.S., other countries as well, to come down and hunt this area. We just felt like we we found the right place to move the company. And to set some roots down here, so uh, we're you know we're renovating, we're we're working our butts off, keeping the company going in the direction we wanted to go to, and uh, and get this place done and up and ready.
0: And just for the record, exactly where are you, so that when we do come down, you mentioned Bird Hunters Hangout. So whether we need any gun cleaning or gun care products or not, we can just hang around with you.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, no, we are right on. If if anybody knows Sonoran. <laughs> there's not even a light in the town it's a it's a way out in the middle of you know bird country it's it's a beautiful little town we are right on the main strip there uh you'll see a big old sign you know it'll be going up here soon with sage breaker on it so right on the main strip next to us I think is a, is a new tavern that went in there's winery um wineries all around us it's it's a great little place to hang out and yeah we're just you know we're gonna have a just kind of a sitting area hangout area you know. Just, place for guys to come back when they're done with a hunt bs for a little while you know have a drink and just kind of hang out uh
0: i'm I'm, I'm particularly partial to that last part Um, by the way you're listening to the upland nation podcast i'm scott linden that's fred bohm with sage and breaker.com and now sage and breaker bricks and mortar too which i love to hear um most of the fly shops i'm going to these days seem to have a at least three or four beer taps um any plans for something like that down there
2: yeah well, there's you know it's, it's there's been talks of that you know have a little coffee area a couple you know set up a little bit of uh local beers you know arizona beers down yeah. here we'll see what we could do so i think we're we'll end up doing something of those sorts well I, I love it what else is new at
0: sageandbreaker.com uh you've got some products in the pipeline i'm sure
2: we do we do so we uh, uh it was Highly requested. We're uh, taking our um what we had is our gun case slash slip, whatever you would like to call it. And we're, you know, we're doing a scoped version on that as well. Uh-huh. for guys, you know, one for the rifles, but you know, aside just from just their shotguns. Uh, we're gonna be doing a handgun case that's gonna be able to fit into our range bags real nice. We had a lot of requests for that. And then we're gonna actually do um go back a little bit old school and go with the traditional rod and brush system but we're going to do beautiful, you know, the, the rod made out of really nice walnut uh, wood, as you would expect from Sage Breaker, uh, real high-end brushes uh, coming into a um, – it's going to be the same wax canvas leather roll-up case that will fit in your uh, uh, in the pouches in the gun mat as well. So that's just a couple things we have in the pipeline now with uh, some more prototypes on, you know, other areas uh, being worked on as well.
0: Well, you know, one of the things – you mentioned prototypes, and one of the things that's intrigued me is – you guys are basically your own field testing staff to a great degree. You're out there. You come up with ideas based on your own experience out there, and then then you try these various versions. How long does it take to get from a, a concept to market?
2: Yeah, I wish it were faster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not, yeah, you yeah. know, it's. I would say it, it depending on the product. um and we beat it up as everything that we could possibly do. See where the you know, if anything's faulty on it, anything needs improvements. If this is working, that's not working. You know, your t- typical R and D phase. And you know, I would say before it's actually ready to go to market and, and it'll be up for sale on the website, it's a solid year. Wow. But, yeah, it's. I, I wish it were faster, but it's. You, you know, I don't, we don't want to put out a product that um, we don't like uh, that other people are you know. Are, They've come to expect, the, you know, the high quality from Sage and Breaker. and we, we don't want to disappoint anybody. So that R&D phase might be longer than other companies, but we want to make sure we have the best thing possible out there.
0: Well, so do I. And it works, by the way. I'm loving my CLP. Uh, and then the new grease, your firearms grease, uh, particularly on some of my older guns, I, I'm finding uses for that every day. So thanks for bringing that to market again. Uh, that's a relatively recent addition. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that whole idea of gun care. We're out there, whether it's uh, the beginning, the middle, the end of the season. uh, We're shooting sporting clays when it's not hunting season. What are some of the things that you would like us to do more of in the way of gun care? And, Grant, let me put in the plug. I don't care what kind of guns you own. Go to sageandbreaker.com and watch the videos. There are some incredibly useful, and very well shot videos on gun care and cleaning there. But Fred, what do you see every day that, you, uh, you know, perhaps we ought to pay a little bit more attention to?
2: You know, it's, I think what a lot of people fear is, A, not having the knowledge how to break down their individual gun. And again, right. like you had said, we cover a lot of different types of guns on our YouTube page, to, you know, really help Lead people through the you know the proper process of breaking down your gun, cleaning it, and then reassembling. It's not typically that complex, and you don't you know not that often do you really need to break everything down. I yeah. think just a, a simple field stripping of your you know your firearm, your shotguns when you're out there, uh, you know just, just getting some of that CLP in the board, getting into the um, into the breach, just. Basically, giving you know, just pull, get all the carbon contaminants out of there, wipe it down, uh, make sure you know you leave a little CLP, or if you want to use the grease on any moving parts, have a little bit of that on there, um, and then just wiping down the outside of the firearm and making sure you're not storing it into like a, a wet case, uh, something of yeah. those sorts. That's the big issue issue because then you're you're looking at rust at that point. Um, so just basic cleaning. I'd like to you know I, that will go a long way on maintaining that firearm and, you know, ensuring that you're going to be able to hand that down to the next generation because these things are built to last, you know, and all you need to do is some simple maintenance. And I'd say, you know, once, twice, depends how much you shoot for sure. You'd want to break your, you know, once, twice a year, you'd want to break the gun down completely and just make sure you're getting all the contaminants out of those little moving parts in there because there are tight tolerances in there. And if you have carbon and some of the other stuff it's going to really wear on that product and um or on your firearm itself. So you want to you want to get in there every once in a while and give it a real good cleaning as well. Well,
0: I'm just a music major and nobody trusts me with power tools, at least not when they're around me. But um help me feel better about that more uh detailed cleaning. I mean, can a guy like me do that and if so what is your one bit of advice or encouragement when it comes to actually going to the next step?
2: Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's a beautiful thing about the internet these days is it's just infinite resource. Uh, So any firearm, whether it's us or, you know, somebody else, you can look up your exact model and then just go through those processes of breaking it down. Now, a big thing about is there's a lot of little parts. Once you start breaking it down, just make sure you have some kind of You have a container of some sorts to put all those little parts in. Um, You know, we have something, but whatever, you know, whatever you want to use to make sure that you're not losing these little parts that could be a real pain in the butt to have to find online to buy again, (laughs) Um, keep that in area. And yeah, it's, it's, it's not as complex as it sounds uh, once you start breaking these things apart because you do have that resource these days of being able to watch somebody else do it right in front of you while you're doing it. So,
0: yeah, you know, the other thing that I found, what little I do in that world, uh, number one, get a great set of screwdrivers. Um, and you, and I've, I've lobbied you to set, put together a good set of screwdrivers for, for gunsmithing. But um, uh, take pictures as you go of your own yep. process so that uh, when you finish the project, there's no parts left in your parts tray.
2: That's, that's great advice as well. That's absolutely something to do, and I, you know, I, I now that you've said that, I found myself doing that time to <laughs> time. But no, it's a good thing you reminded me of that as well. That's great advice.
0: Oh, I'm glad to help you with gun care because you you know everything that I don't know except for maybe that one thing. So, uh, well, if you were to uh, to leave us with one bit of advice before we part ways about gun care and uh, it, you know the, the 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 things that are important to a uh, active, avid bird hunter what should we do before during after the hunt just to make sure that our gun performs the next day
2: i mean before the hunt you you know just give it a quick look down hopefully the day before you had gone through the quick cleaning process but just make sure everything's lubricated you know that's the issue is when it starts if it's dried out and you haven't put any lubrication in there in a good long time that's where the wear and tear starts happening on the firearm so just yeah. make sure it's properly lubricated and then, you know, when you're done, again, at the end of the day, like I had said earlier, just give it that, that one pull through with your board cleaning kit after you put some CLP in there. Wipe down all the metal, uh, any of the metal parts at the end of the day that you could get to. Um, you know, if it rains, and obviously you may, you're going to need to break it apart. But just do a quick clean. If you could do it, honestly, on the tailgate of the truck, five minutes is all you need. If you do that each time when you're done hunting or going out trap shooting, whatever you may be doing, that's going to go a long way to preserving that firearm. So just a quick five minutes. It doesn't have to be, you know, every time this intricate thing that you dread doing. You got five minutes at the end of the day. The pups need to get water. You know, that's a perfect time to do it. Open the tailgate, you know, throw down the cleaning mat, and uh, just get to work for five minutes or so.
0: There you go. I might also suggest, and thank you again for your firearm grease, because I wrestled with two choke tubes in nevada Mm. last week and regretted not having checked them in a year and uh, i don't know if you've fought that problem yourself i have yeah you know i i will suggest to everybody that uh, take your choke tubes out and put them back in i don't care if you use the same ones all the time take them out and put them in lubricate them every few weeks just in case
2: 100 percent wise advice right there
0: there you go and lots of other wise advice from fred bohm he's the founder and he is the man in charge at sageandbreaker.com if you have a gun cleaning gun care gun transport or shooting i guess i'll call it shooting storage um, need they can probably fill it for you at sageandbreaker.com fred always good to talk with you now you're you're encouraging me again to try and figure out how to get to
2: arizona this year so watch out absolutely scott you're welcome down here anytime and love to get you out on a hunt
0: thanks for being a part of the upland nation podcast
2: all right scott appreciate you having me on and you take care bye-bye Bye bye. and maybe you want a new gun to chase
0: quail maybe you want a smaller gauge or you want to go from a pump or a automatic to a over and under or side by side well the way in to get the way to get into that world is through pointershotguns.com they've got a little bit of everything in all those configurations and all sorts of colors and finishes available something for everybody including the kids they got youth models case coloring in all the gauges learn more about their shotguns and how you can take your hunting and shooting to the next level at pointer shotguns.com look at all the models find nearby retailer watch some of my videos and articles it's all at pointer shotguns.com and for all that other gear you need MidwayUSA carries just about everything MidwayUSA.com is where you shop for everything from socks to ammo I just stocked up on a little bit of non tox I'm headed for California gotta use it for everything over there November Cyber Week is coming up, starts on Monday the twentieth, runs through Cyber Monday, so eight days of awesome deals. And they've got a full stock of non-toxic and upland ammo right now. So get the bismuth and steel while it's available and while you'll need it. Just like me. Sign up for the emails or texts and get ten percent off your next order. It's all at midway USA com well i got to thinking oh and then i got a magazine assignment on all the stuff that we need for the first year of our puppy's life and thought you know there's some things on that list i put together that maybe you hadn't thought of and maybe you learned the hard way i know i did so if you got a new puppy coming or already in the house here are some suggestions that might make both your and its life just a little bit easier boy I did learn the hard way on soft plush toys all they do is encourage dog to crunch and bite and that sometimes sometimes translates to retrieving now I'm, I'm pretty loose about that stuff most German dogs that I know or have Owned myself will um, ensure that they get no pushback from a bird when they're bringing it along to you in other words as somebody called it the the zealous death chomp just wants just to keep that bird quiet on the way back to the owner well I'm trying to discourage that in Flick and one way I, I do that is he doesn't get never has gotten soft plush toys a squeaker in there and oh Katie bar the door to a dog squeakers are just mice that need to be sought out and killed and by the way they're also a choking hazard so if you got an aggressive chewer avoid soft plush and avoid squeakers and here's one for all of you who are still getting up in the middle of the night because your puppy just needs to go leave the lights off bring with you a headlamp or a flashlight that has one of those red or green lenses, like the um, like the big game hunters use or the turkey hunters. Those colors are 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 less visible, if you will, to animals. They do not get the dog as fired up, for example. So it keeps the whole situation dark. Take the puppy out. You can still see. The puppy can do his business. Come back in the house. It's still dark. He might go to sleep just a little faster anyway you live and you learn sometimes it takes me five puppies to learn but believe me it was worth it and handle it this week is brought to you by highvizsites.com. see what you've been missing they have a little bit of everything and they're all easy to install you know they pioneered the whole light pipe and tritium technologies they've got magnetic screw attached and plain barrel sights that fist, fit just about every shotgun on the market and they'll help you if you really need help with installation there's a reason they are original equipment on ruger smith and wesson benelli browning and remington learn more about the assortment of sights and how you can use them and how you can interchange them depending on your hunting situation at highvis sights.com. that's H-I vizsites.com. Speaking of magazine articles, I'm working on one right now about landtrust.com. Went out and hunted with Nick and Trevor a while back. Had a great time. One of the things that was well, it's important to everybody. We all want a nice, exclusive, well-managed piece of ground. To hunt on. No crowds, assurances that it's been managed well. Kind of like Airbnb, only for hunters. Yeah, Land Trust connects trusted guests with trusted landowners to offer exclusive access for bird hunting. Take a look at the, the website, landtrust.com, shop around, open a free account, and then try it. You might be surprised at, number one, what's out there just for you and your dog, and the affordable prices for a day hunt or for a longer-term hunt. It's all at LandTrust.com. Well, I'm glad you could join me. Thank you to Fred Bohm and Phil Francon for cluing us in on what's new at their companies and also some great advice. If you listeners... Would please tell one person each. I would sure appreciate it. That's how we grow around here. And if you've commented at the social platforms or uh, maybe one of your podcast distribution sites, sure appreciate that. And I appreciate the support of all of our sponsors who make this all possible: Sage and Breaker, Pointer Shotguns, Purina, Pro Plan Sport, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Chokes, Midway USA and LandTrust.com. Until we meet in the field, maybe I'll see you back here next week. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation podcast.